Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy this message by Brother Adam Baholia. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I'd like to start by just saying that it's an absolute honor and a privilege for us to be here this morning uh, with this house. Um, we've known these guys for some time, and I'm not the man that's meant to be standing on this platform this morning. Uh, Brother Curry was meant to be here himself, but unfortunately, due to some circumstances that arose in, in the United States, he was unable to make this trip. Um, so for me, it's a, an absolute privilege to be able to stand here and minister the Word of God this morning, and I want to thank you guys for making the decision to actually continue with these meetings, and what Dan said about this ministry, about John G. Lake Ministries, is, is 100%, you know, that is our heart. Our heart is to equip the body of Christ to fulfill what God has called the body to. For myself personally, and I don't want to go too much into talking about me because I just want to talk about Jesus, but my journey in Christianity started when I was 33 years old, and yet I grew up in the church. I grew up in a house where my mother was a Catholic, uh, my father was an atheist, which was an extremely challenging and testing childhood. I went to a Pentecostal church when I was 14, was impacted by the service, and someone told me, you know, they asked me who I was and whether I believed in God, and I was able to answer yes immediately, because I did. I used to talk to God all the time. I would even consider that a form of prayer at that stage of my life, and yet it was always very one-sided, because I didn't have union with him. So I knew about God, but I didn't know him. And it was, that's a completely different thing to just be able to hear about this God and to actually walk in union with him are two completely different things. So they were pretty quick to tell me as a 14-year-old kid that once I told them that I was a Catholic or had grown up in the Catholic church, they said, oh, great, so you already know Jesus, now you just need to be saved. And I said a prayer with this person. But the problem was I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I was saying. So I went through the motions of saying, but nothing in here changed. But I lived until the age of 33, believing that I was going to heaven based on the assurance I had from men, based on the fact that I was told that all you need to do is this, and you've got it. The reality was that in me was absolute darkness. I could be a good person, but yet I, I lived for the devil. I lived for myself. I was never free from selfishness. I destroyed my family. I destroyed my marriage. It's, it's an absolute miracle that my wife is even sitting in this room with us today. And that, that took place. Yeah. 
that took place after I was born again. I didn't get born again in a church. I didn't get born again in a service because I believed that I already was a Christian. I got born again sitting in a cemetery on the Brisbane River. I actually went to that place to actually go and talk to God in person. My plan was that I would end my own misery there. And in the middle of this whole situation as me having another one-sided conversation with God, crying out to him, blaming him for every choice that I was unable to take responsibility for because of the nature of the fall that was still in me. In that moment of anger and hatred and desperation, Father touched my heart and it wasn't some weird mystical thing. You see, I'd lived for three months up until that day where I hadn't slept. I was constantly under the influence of something, whether that was illegal drugs, medicated drugs or alcohol. I hadn't been sober for three months. And in a moment of time, I was instantly sober. Instantly sober. And for the first time in my entire life, I saw the condition of my own heart. And I realized no matter how good a person that I could be, there was nothing good in me. The life that was in me was death. And I was seeing the fruit of it in my life. And I realized at that moment that I had to make a decision, that Adam could not leave that cemetery. So I made that decision. And in the midst of all that chaos, when the devil thought that he had me, in that moment, he thought that this was gonna be his greatest victory in my life. I made a decision to make Jesus Lord. But there's something in this that I wanna share with you. Because for 33 years, I knew Jesus as Savior. I'd heard him preached and proclaimed as Savior. I'd heard the preaching of the cross. I'd heard the gospel so many times. But I'd never made him Lord. There's a big difference between having a relationship with Savior and having union with him as Lord. See, I know there are many of you sitting in this room today that you've heard all about the Savior. You've known him as Savior, your entire walk with God. But we need to understand what it is to make him Lord. We proclaim him as Lord. Do we treat him as Lord? Man. There is so much that I want to say this morning. So much, I'm telling you. God is so faithful. He's amazing. We we are watching God move so powerfully around the world. Some of the history that Dan was just speaking about that took place in Spokane, they saw 100,000 healings over a period of five years in Spokane. Then they saw the same thing take place in Portland because people started to say, Christians, the church started to say, 
the reason they were seeing these healings through John G. Lake was because Spokane was a special place. The moment John Lake got wind of that, he shut the work down and moved to Portland, Oregon and did the same thing because he wasn't going to give the devil glory for what God was doing. He was not trying to draw the intention of people to a place or a person. He was proclaiming Jesus Christ and the life of God in him. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that they would have life. That word in the Greek is, a, is the word zoe. And it's not just talking about life as we would see in an animal. It's talking about the life and operation of the very life of God. So the life he came to give us is the very life that we see in God, which is absolutely amazing. Today, around the world, the ministry sees on average 50,000 healings a month. A month. Now that's being minimal because there are well over 100,000 divine healing technicians around the world today and that number is growing exponentially. We're in Ukraine, I think it was at the end of April, we sat down with pastors and leaders from all over Europe, all speaking in Slavic-speaking nations and churches. And there was one pastor who came. He said that he had attended a DHT four years beforehand and began to take this message, the simplicity of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Wherever he went for the previous, the four years after that, up until this day that he's sitting with us. He said at that point, he had trained and equipped and planted over 100,000 teams of people through 27 Islamic-operated countries. That they are going out into the streets, being converted from Islam, healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. From the time I was born again and plugged into, I, I guess, I'm not trying to offend anyone with my terminology, but I'm just going to say it this way, to what I would consider as mainstream Pentecostalism in Australia, I've heard Pentecostals talk about this great revival that is going to sweep across this nation to impact the world. Has anyone heard prophecies? Has anyone spoken about them? Has anyone desired to see it? Yeah. Do you realize every country I go to, they have a similar prophecy? They have a similar prophecy. And through years, they've narrowed it down to similar locations within their countries that God was gonna pour himself out of the church, that it would shake the nations. Do you realize that this is already happening? We're not waiting for God to do this. It's already happening. It's been happening for years. And yet for many of us, we just have to open our eyes 
to the reality of what he's already doing. You see, the day that Jesus stepped into this world, the history of this planet changed forever. Man, I tell you, we've got to get a hold of that. So many Christians today still turn to God on the basis of how many would turn to him before Jesus came. That the answer to so many of the prayers of the saints that are raised to heaven is the same answer. The same answer from the Father. Father, why are you letting this happen? Father, when? Father, why? Father, what? It's the same answer every time. Do you know what that answer is? I sent my son. I sent my son. You see, there's a reality in Jesus Christ, the one we adore, the one we worship, the one we praise, that we have to take hold of. The Bible declares that we are saved by grace. The fact that we can be called children of God, sons of the Most High, representatives of the kingdom of heaven, is the operation of the grace of God. That he would take us from the former state of who we were to position us in his kingdom as representatives of his heart, of his life, of his character, of his nature representatives of his dominion, his authority, that we would be positioned as sons of the Most High God, which speaks to every woman in this place, the same as it speaks to the men. That is the operation of grace, that we can be sons. But the Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall live by grace. It doesn't say the just shall live by feeling. It says the just shall live by faith. When do you know that you're ready to do what Jesus said? Come on, think about this. I've stood in churches all over the world and I've had the the honor and the privilege of doing this for the last eight years. Before that, I'd never even left my state, let alone this nation. God saw fit to to send me around the world and has given me responsibilities beyond that which I asked because I wasn't asking for a position or a title or anything. I just want to bring him glory. I just want Jesus to, to receive the reward for his suffering in my life that he spends my life however he sees fit. But in order for him to do that, I had to give him my heart because he knew once he has our heart, he'll get your feet. Come on. He'll get your hands. He'll get your mind. Sometimes we try and reach him with our mind. And wonder why we're not seeing the fruit of him in our life. He's not interested in your mind. I'm building a relationship with you intellectually. Why? Because the rational and logic of an unrenewed mind will always be an adversary to God. We have to reach him here. 
This is the place. This is the place right here. Now I know there are many of you in this room that have such a love for God, desire to see the fullness of Him in and through your lives. Do you realize that that is His desire as well for you? That He's not holding anything back? That when He gave us His Son, He gave us everything in Him. Oh, hallelujah, this is exciting. And yet I've been in churches around the world and seen men of God, I'm not judging anyone, but I'm trying to show you something here. And they would say, they would talk about the power that is in their life in Christ. And they would talk about it out of experience and somewhat out of ignorance in terms of a misunderstanding. And what they would do is they would call the people up and say, if you want the power that I have in my life, then come down the front and I will lay my hands on you so you can have that power too. Do you realize that in so many churches that I've seen this take place, that there's barely a seat left that's not empty in the auditorium? that everyone's down the front with their hands out to receive what they believe they need to live for God. So why is this a problem? Why is it a problem? Imagine if I could say that to you today, if I could say, right, if you come down the front and I put my hands on you, from this day forward, whoever you lay hands on will be healed, delivered, raised from the dead, set free. Would you want that? Well, the desire to actually live in that reality, that's Christ in you. The means is not Christianity. Why isn't it Christianity? Because if that was to happen and I was to do that, then you would not be living by faith any longer. Your walk would be based on what I just gave you. I can do this because this man touched me and now this is why it happens. It destroys faith in the believer. And do you realize that this is the way so many Christians around the world have been trained to think in terms of Christianity, in terms of God? I'm just blessed, I'm blessed to be here, honestly, I'm, I'm stirred, you know. I've, I've been in this building once before and it was to come and actually pick up chairs. These guys, we, we planted a church in Werribee in the beginning of 2015, they'd heard about us and they called us and gave us chairs, which is just so timely and, and God ordained. I don't even know if they realize it, but <laughs> absolutely amazing. But I walk in here today and I tell you, my heart is stirred with what God desires to do in this place, not just what he's already doing. I'm telling you, it excites me. It it just blesses me. But I've got some more questions. What is normal Christianity? See, normal Christianity can be what we settle for. 
And whatever you're settling for, that becomes your normal. So when we have an established normal, whatever that might be, anything that is different to that becomes abnormal to us. Let's have a look at what the Bible says. I want to go into John chapter 14. I'm just going to read verse 12. This is a verse that I'm sure you guys have heard, would know, have heard, read, proclaimed, preached on. But I want to give you to understand what Jesus declared normal Christianity to be. Are you ready for this? I'm going to read out of the King James. I hope that doesn't offend anyone. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that has a gift, is that what it says? No, he that has an anointing, he that has a mantle, he that is an apostle, he that is an evangelist. So what does it say? He that believes. So this is talking about every believer that ever was and will be. He's defining normal Christianity for us. He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Do you realize the word shall is an absolute word? It's not a kesara sara word. Whatever will be, will be. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. See, that's, that's when this man... When this word is received through intellect, through rational, through logic, we will always rational the absolute out. We will always look at him and say, yes, that might be true. And Jesus said that, and yes, that is true. But I just can't see that being my reality. Generally, the reason why we would then view these verses contrary to what Jesus has said is because of the way we look at ourselves. I got good news for you. Christianity isn't about you. Come on. Otherwise, it'd be about how good you are. Otherwise, it'd be about what you have instead of who he is. Think about this. He was able to say this on the basis of what he came to achieve for us. Oh, come on. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Oh, and he didn't just stop there. You notice he didn't say this. You know what? If you believe in me, you'll, you'll do almost as much as I've done. But you won't do as exactly because I'm Jesus. So you'll never be as good as me. But you, you get close. You notice he didn't think like a man. He thought like God. And he said that you would do the same as he did. Oh, come on. And if that wasn't enough to stretch us, look at what he says next. And greater works than these shall he do. Why? 
because I go to my father. See, the reality of this being our reality is in what he achieved when he went to the father. It started at the whipping post. Then it went to the cross. Then it went to the grave. And then it was finished in the very throne room of God when he appeared without spot and blemish for us. Attained to perfection for us. Something that none of us, not one person in this room or on this planet was ever capable of attaining to. So why would we now make Christianity about us? How is it possibly conceived that we could attain to this reality through submitting and surrendering to him to make him Lord of our lives? Not just savior. And then think that we were gonna do this on our own. Oh, come on. I want to give you this analogy. I've actually got four pages of scripture that I want to read today. I don't know if we're going to get there. But imagine if this building was on fire in the natural, because it's on fire in the spirit. But if it was on fire in the natural and all the exits were blocked, there's no way for us to get out. And the local fire brigade comes down and they knock a hole through the wall and they start pulling us out one by one. Do you realize that at that moment, that man pulling us through that hole in the wall immediately becomes our savior, our deliverer, because he saved us from circumstance. He's proclaimed liberty to us the moment he knocked the hole in the wall to give us an avenue of escape. Does that make him Lord of your life? No. See, Jesus was savior. Nearly 2,000 years ago, he became savior of the world. But the world isn't saved until we make a decision based on the hearing of the preaching of the gospel. And then through the preaching of the gospel, something had to happen in us. We had to obey the truth. And when we obey the truth, we make him Lord. We submit to him as Lord. The fireman would never be your Lord. Just, just consider this in the natural for a moment and imagine that you did make him Lord. Do you realize that that means that whatever the fireman says now, that's, that's what is, he's determining what your life looks like. He's determining what you do where you go, how you speak. Think about this. For some reason, we've been allowed to believe that freedom in Christ is freedom to do what we want. Do you realize that freedom in Jesus Christ is freedom to do what he wants? It's not what we want because we've laid our life down We've submitted to him. We've surrendered all to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do you realize that declares 
him as Lord. That if you are able to truly obey that command, then it causes a submission of your life and a laying down of your life that you cease to be the person you were. Which brings me to the next question. How is it possible for us to do the same works as him, let alone greater, unless something changed in us that made us as he is? Think about this. How is it possible for me as, as if I see myself as just being a man, saved because of what Jesus did, to ever think that I could do what he did unless something changed in me? See, this is a question that has caused so many Christians across the generations to settle for what they're experiencing. But I can guarantee you there would hardly be a person in this room that deep inside your own heart, you still know that there's something more. You still know there's something else, that there's a greater that we're meant to be living in. And it's that longing and it's that desire which is the spirit of God in you that testifies who he made you. As sons and daughters of the most high God, that will cause so many to try and reach God through an imagination, through intellect, through reasoning, through logic, through rational. You can't attain to him through rational. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Oh, hallelujah. We're gonna go to John 1. I love scripture, honestly. I don't have notes. If you want to see my notes, it's just all scripture. That's, that's all I use. The, the Bible speaks for itself. I, I would rather come here and tell you what this says than give you my opinion. So John chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We know this is declaring, talking about Jesus. Verse two, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was Zoe, life. In him was life, the very life and the operation of the life of God. That's what this word declares to us. That's the life of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. And the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. See, do you realize this is not talking about comprehending through reasoning? The darkness couldn't overthrow the light. It couldn't subdue it. It couldn't stop the light. All darkness can do when you turn a light on is flee. Oh, come on. Think about this. Jesus was not subject to darkness. He exposed it. Everywhere he walked, he shone the very light of all that God is and made that declaration to the world that I am the light of the world. In a very short period of time after that, he declared that reality to be ours. 
that we are the light of the world. Believers are the light of the world. The church is the light of the world. Not a mere substitute. Not just Jesus' little toe shining in you. But the fullness of the light of God himself shining through every believer on this planet, causing us to do what? Destroy the works of the devil just as he did. Establishing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Think about this. Man, I tell you, when this captures your heart, you will never be the same again, I can tell you now. Sometimes we just gotta let him in. You, you, you can be born again and absolutely love and adore God and yet don't know how to live for him. That, that's the state that so many Christians around the world are in and don't just think within the Pentecostal world. Let's, let's look at the body of Christ as a whole, as determined by God the Father, who he says is his son. So many of the sons of God are still asleep to the realities of what Jesus has proclaimed. Let me continue. He says this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is talking about John, who we know as John the Baptist. It's just the Bible never refers to him as John the Baptist, or he was never called John the Baptist. We just know him as that. Then it says this. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, of the Zoe, the very life of God, that all men through him might believe. Notice that's not an absolute word. You see that word, it says might. Do you realize that Jesus in John chapter five is standing there talking to people that had a belief in God, dedicated their lives to live for God, studied scripture daily, prayed, fasted, went through the practices of what they understood of how you walk in relationship with God, even though they couldn't have intimacy, they couldn't have union. And said to them, I'm saying these things to you that you might be saved. Not shall be, might be. Paul prays. For the Israelites, the, the chosen vessels of God in Romans chapter 10. And he says, my prayer and heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. Not absolute words. Why not? Because it's not up to God what you do with the gospel. So why would we think that when we get born again, now everything is up to him? Oh, come on. It's not up to God what you do with what you've been given. But if you don't understand what you have, guess what? You may never walk in it. Think about this. And I, I got an iPhone. It was the first phone that I had with no buttons on it to, to press. And this is going back about three years. And man, I had that thing for 18 months. Well, it was probably four years ago now. And I'm doing this as I'm texting and sending all manner of languages, trying to write English because I'm not part of the generation that grew up with this. 
and I'm standing in the middle of this conference and I'm doing this up the back and this young minister sits standing there beside me he says brother Adam I said yes he said do you like doing that and I said no he could tell and he said well if you get your phone and turn it this way that little keypad will spread right across the bottom the letters will be twice the size and you can use both hands and I'm like no <laughs> so I dropped my phone on the side and angels started singing in the background Hallelujah! <laughs> and I'm like you're kidding me I've had this thing for 18 months and I didn't even know it would do that And I said, thank you, thank you. It's awesome, bless you. And then he says, now you see that little microphone button there on the keypad? And I said, yeah, I've been wondering what that is. He said, well, if you press it, you can actually speak to the phone and it will write the message for you. <laughs> no. And I'm like, no, surely not. That technology is only in Star Wars, couldn't possibly be happening. So I tried it and it worked. And I'm like, I've had this phone for 18 months and I didn't know it could do this. Does that mean that because I didn't understand the function of the phone that it couldn't function that way? No, I'd just never use it. I would never walk in the potential of what I had because I didn't know what I had or how to walk in it. Oh, come on. God's not holding anything back. You don't have to wait for something to fall on you. He sent his son. Come on. Verse eight. He was not that light, talking about John, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man and that comes into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Are you ready for this? Verse 12. But as many as receive him, we had to receive him. We had to receive what he did. You've heard the preaching of the gospel at some point in your lives, and for many of you, you may never have heard it. But you've heard the preaching of the gospel and you responded from your heart as an open act of love which is absolutely amazing because every time we see Jesus speak of love, he always speaks of obedience as well. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. I tell you, that's such a powerful, powerful, liberating thing that the most pure expression of Christian love is obedience to Christ. Do you realize that that's one of the words that is quickly eroding out of the church? Christians uh, flee from the word because of their bondage of misunderstanding because of legalism. Oh, I know, it's, this is so damaging. But he says this, for as many as received him to them, 
gave he power to become the sons of God. This word is exousia, meaning authority. He gave us the authority to become the sons of God. Do you realize that if you are born again, that is who you are? That is who you are. That's the reality of all that you are. Okay, let's go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. I am literally trying to condense this as much as I can. I would usually preach for three days, 18, 19 hours, because there's so much in the word of God and this is life, that this word is alive. But Jesus spoke about the word as being seed. He described it as seed when he gave the parable of the sower. He said the, the seed was the word. You could leave this room with a bag of seed this morning and never see the fruit of it in your life unless you do something with the seed. If I go and purchase a bag of apple seeds, that doesn't mean I've got apples. I have to be diligent with the seed. I have to be diligent with how I treat the seed and what I do with the seed. If I desire to see the fruit of the seed in my life, ah, oh, it's even better. Jesus is described as the seed and he is the word made flesh. That when you received him, you received his word in all fullness, that the spirit of God in you, the comforter that would come as he described in John 14, further on in that chapter that he would testify and bring every word that Jesus ever spoke to our remembrance, that that seed is in you and that seed is Christ. And that if we are allowing the word of God to take root in us, then our fruit will be Jesus. Whosoever believes in me shall do the same works that I've been doing and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my father. Oh man, I tell you, this is exciting. And he says this, I'm, gonna, I'm going to just show you this. In verse eight, this is Acts chapter one, verse eight. This is Jesus proclaiming. I know you've heard these verses. This is why I'm reading them. But you shall receive power. This is the Greek word dunamis, not exousia. So he's not saying you shall receive authority. He's saying you shall receive miraculous ability. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We were going to receive the Holy Spirit, which is known through scripture as the earnest of our inheritance that we received the promise of the Father that was promised to Christ himself. And then he attains to perfection for us and on behalf of us, we get to enter into the reality of what he's received because we become one with him, which is absolutely amazing. And for me to go through that in detail, we'd, we'd need to cover quite a bit of scripture but there's a reality to what the word of God says that we need to actually take a hold of. The baptism of the Holy Spirit 
can no longer be limited to an experience. There is still debate in the modern day church as to whether a Christian will even speak in tongues or not when they receive the Spirit. Because all manner of madness comes out of the intellect and rational of men, which is an adversary to God. At some point, believers have to take hold of His Word, believe what He says, and bear the fruit of Him in our lives. In John 15, he starts the chapter by saying, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. That believers are the branches, that Jesus is the vine. Oh, hallelujah. Do you realize that the fruit grows on the branches? But it's the life of the vine flowing through the branch that produces the fruit which means it's not your fruit as a branch, it's him. Think about it. Oh, but brother Adam, I don't know if I feel ready. Well, if you're waiting for a feeling, you could be waiting for a long time. At some point, we have to stand on what he says and we have to actually believe and live in accordance with what he says. Most people don't lay hands on the sick because they don't feel ready. The just don't live by feeling. The just live by faith. So if you can feel the power, you don't need faith. Oh, come on. But see, we can make this about something else. Trying to reach him here. Oh, hallelujah. So it's the life of the vine, the life of Christ that is in you as a branch, as a believer that flows out of you and produces his fruit in your life. Oh. Okay. Let's go to John again. John chapter five. I want to look at this this morning. If you needed a title for this morning's message, it's the same works and greater. The same works as Christ and greater. So let's look. Let's just have a look at this window of history recorded here in John chapter 5 and look at one of Jesus' works. We know this to be the situation where Jesus comes and actually sets this guy free at the pool of Bethesda. Now there is a lot of conjecture in scripture, well not in scripture, but certainly in men, as to how much of this was actually in the original text. But what I can say is that we have it in the word, it's been in the word, it was actually talked about by early fathers of the faith within Christianity, starting within the first three centuries of Christianity and that it's actually always been there. It's just man likes to try and pick and choose what he has to believe. And we all know that there's a powerful reality in actually highlighting scripture and having owning a highlighting pen, and I'm not 
please, I'm not trying to take away or detract because we need to understand the word and we need to be able to live it. We need to take hold of it. And I have highlighters through all my Bibles, except for my new one, which I only just got. But it's going to be the same. But many Christians, when they go and buy their highlighter pen, they should go and buy a permanent black marker so they can highlight the scriptures they like and just remove the ones they don't. <laughs> Think about this. Is he Lord? So what gives us to write to pick and choose what we are willing to believe or obey? Well, if I get to choose what I obey, then he's not Lord. Come on. I either do what he says or I don't. So that makes me obedient or disobedient. There's no gray area there. Well, you don't understand, Brother Adam. God's giving me time. For what? <laughs> to make a choice. To obey or not. So we will either obey or we, or we won't. So let's look at this. Jesus is goes to Jerusalem, he goes out to the pools, or where the pool of Bethesda was, and there's these five, I guess what we would call pergolas, porches, shaded roofed areas that the people used to sit under around the pool, and they were waiting for the angel to come and trouble the water, because they knew whoever got in first would be healed, regardless of who they were, or what they had done. Think about that. So it wasn't about them being in a place where they were good enough to be healed. They knew when the water was troubled, whoever got in would be healed. Yes? We'll start in verse five. And it says this, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that state or in that case. So that would be classed as a, as a word of knowledge. But he looked at this guy and knew what was going on. He said unto the man, will you be made whole? Think about it. Jesus didn't walk up and said, and say to this guy, do you think that I can heal you? He didn't say, do you have enough faith to be healed? He didn't say, is there any sin in your life? What did you do that made you this way? You realize he didn't come to this man with the reasoning of man. He came to him with life and he asked him this question and the question is so profound and we could miss the profoundness of the question if we don't look at the answer, if we don't look at the response. You would think this man's response would be, yes, yes, I will be healed. But let's look at what he says. The infinite man answered him, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So what is this man believing in for his healing? 
the pool. He knows, he's heard the story, he's seen others get free. He knows that all he has to do is get in there first and this is his. He's declaring where his faith was and what his faith was in with this statement. And yet in the same sense, he's also complaining. Somebody else gets it before I can get in. So he doesn't say yes to Jesus. He's just speaking out of want. He's speaking out of his circumstance. He's describing his circumstance to Jesus. And that's his response. So let's look at what Jesus does. Jesus said unto him, rise, take up your bed and walk. You hear that? He tells this man to do what was impossible for him to do and had been impossible for him to do for 38 years. He doesn't say, be healed. He doesn't say, Father, send. He doesn't even talk to God and say, Father, is it your, is it your will that this one today? He doesn't say, let me help you into the water because I'll meet you where your faith is and when the water's troubled, I'll just kick you in. Come on. Why didn't he behave that way? Because he doesn't think like a man. He's not interpreting God through rational and intellect and logic. He's representing the Father. So let's look at what happens. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath day. And we know this was going to upset the pattern of how things were in that day. And this man is healed, he's walking. And the Pharisees come up and they see him and they say, why are you carrying your bed? It's, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed today. Why are you doing this? And this is what he says in verse 11. He answered them and said this, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, what man is that which said unto you, take up your bed and walk? And he that was healed didn't know who it was. Do you hear this? So he couldn't have been believing for his healing. He couldn't have been exercising faith to be healed. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And he still got free. Why? Because it had nothing to do with him. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. Let's jump down to verse 19. This made, this made them angry because they wanted to know. And Jesus finds this guy in the temple, completely free. And the first place he goes is the temple. At least he know who healed him. At least he gave glory to God. And he wasn't giving glory to the guy who told him to take up his bed and walk. Think about this. Do you realize in John 14, verse 10, before verse 12, Jesus said that it's not even me doing the things you're seeing, it's the Father that is in me. 
is the Father that lives and dwells in me that does the works. Oh, come on. In verse 19, he says this, and Jesus answered them, and answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. That's the first part of this statement. The Son can do nothing of himself. Do you hear that? Oh, this is a reality that the church needs to get a hold of. It's not about what we think we have or can get from God to do what He said. It's about us simply believing in Him and obeying Him and living a life in accordance with what we believe. You see, a Christian shouldn't have to come into a place and start telling people what they believe. They should be able to see what we believe by the way we live. Our life should testify of Jesus and they should see the fruit of Christ in our lives. Jesus said that same thing to us in John 17, when He said if, that we would be one. He said, Father, you and me and I and them, that we would be one. And then He tells us why that was so important, that the world would believe that you sent me. So what was He saying? He was testifying that the reality of when we live as He is, positioned us and called us to live that the world will know that God sent His Son. They will only have to look at you and know that Jesus is real. Come on. Then He says this, The Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For what things soever He does, talking about the Father, these also does the Son likewise. He's following the Father's example. He's following the Father's character, the Father's nature. Whatever He knew and understood the Father to be, that's what He is. Think about this. As He is, so are we in this world. going to go to one more place and then we need to wrap it up. If we are called to do the same works and greater, then we should see an example similar to this somewhere in the book of Acts, somewhere in the New Testament, that this being the reality and the fruit of a believer's life. In Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John walking together, heading towards the temple at the hour of prayer. And this is what it says in verse two. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that enter the temple. He was he laid there daily to beg. He would beg for something of value, gold, silver, whatever it was. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an arms. So what was he asking for? Something of value. Was he asking to be healed? No. Was he exercising faith in them that he could be healed right at this moment? No. 
if he was exercising faith at all, it was faith that these guys were gonna give him money. So we could say he probably had faith for provision, but not for healing at this point. Let's look at what it says. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. He says, look right here. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give you. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Do you hear this? He says, what I have, I give you. And then he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Which is the same thing Jesus said to the man at the pillar of Bethesda. Watch what happens. Picture this, this guy is laying there. He's got his hand out, wanting to receive something. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Peter didn't even wait for him to get up. He took the man by the hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Same works. Whosoever believes in me shall do the same works. Come on. Then he says this. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. He wasn't praising Peter and John. Come on. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was him that sat for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them into the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Watch what happens next. Just, just picture this. This miracle's just taken place. All these people knew this man. They saw him every day. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk. Think about this. This was Peter's perfect opportunity. Do you realize that he could have established himself as the guy in these people's eyes right here and now? He could have said, the reason this man is healed is because I am an apostle. I walked with Jesus for three and a half years. This is how I can do this. We've been praying and we've been fasting. This is why this has happened. Think about this. No, he says the opposite. He says, why are you looking at us? As though there's something special about us that we could do this. Then he says this, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His Son, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let Him go. So what is Peter doing? Well, he's just switched from healing the sick to preaching the gospel. He's got a captive audience and now he's proclaiming the gospel. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer be granted unto you and killed the Prince of life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Verse 16, are you ready for this? He's gonna tell us how this happened. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong. Yea, or whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is by Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The faith which was by Him, by who? Not the man. The man wasn't showing faith at all. If the man had faith for healing, why was he still lame? Come on. So who was exercising faith? Peter and John. Do you realize what we see here? We see this perfect example of what it is to follow Him. Jesus said this, unless a man can deny himself and take up his cross, not Jesus's cross, our cross. You see, there's a powerful truth in that for you. Unless you can see the reality of what the cross means to you, you'll never understand what it meant to Him. Because otherwise we just look at the cross and see His suffering or His victory to whatever degree of understanding we have of that. But we need to realize that that cross symbolizes the end of all that you were to become all that He is. Unless a man can deny himself and take up his cross and what? And follow me. He cannot be my disciple. Matthew put it this way. He's not worthy of me. Oh, come on. Jesus came and proclaimed what normal Christianity is. What a man in union with God, filled with the Spirit of God is capable of. He demonstrated that to the world. He testified and established what normal Christianity is. We have to make a choice. Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy to receive honour? Is He worthy to receive praise? Is He worthy to receive glory? Is He worthy to be loved? Is He worthy to be lived for? Are we willing to live worthy of Him? Why? Because He is worthy. 
Oh, come on. Hallelujah. Now, I know there's some people in the room here this morning that something is happening inside you. Something's pulling at your heart and you may not understand what it is. You've you've heard about this Jesus. You've had questions, you've had reasonings, you've been angry. Man, you may have even blamed God for things that have gone on in your life, even though your confession has been that you don't believe in Him. Man, I wanna say to you today, the greatest victory that I've ever experienced in Christ was freedom from myself. The day I got born again, I got delivered of me because I was my biggest problem. The greatest display of God's love that this world had ever seen was in that He sent His Son to die for us, to lay His life down, not just so we could live a better life. I can tell you now, Christianity and true Christianity doesn't make God a means in our life, which means He's not a means to my happiness, my freedom, my health, my prosperity. He's not the means. We can't treat Him as a means. One of the greatest lies that has entered the body of Christ across generations is this, invite Jesus to be part of your life. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Jesus said you have to lay your life down. Inviting Him in means that it's gonna be you with Jesus improving you. No, no, you had to go. You have to go. He wasn't looking to renovate you, to make you a better person. You can't live resurrection life without first laying your life down and dying to all that you were. See, that's what Romans 6 declares to the body of Christ. That we have to bow our knee, that we have to lay our life down. That choice is made here. There are people in this room that have the desire this morning to make Jesus Lord. Let me see your hands. Come on. Hallelujah. Don't be ashamed of that decision. I want you to come down the front. The team here want to minister to you. They want to pray for you. Come down the front. Come on, don't be slow. Never the same. Never the same. He is Lord. He is Saviour.
this decision you're making is from your heart, not your head. Don't let your head get in the way. Sometimes because of hardship, brokenness, things we've had to walk through and experience, we can form this hardness around our heart. I'm telling you, you're gonna experience a freedom in your life that you couldn't even dream to be possible. But you have to let Him have your heart. You have to submit to Him. He is Lord. You need to confess Him as Lord, not just as a once-off to say, but that your confession changes from this moment on in your life. That you will no longer be obedient to the life that you once lived, but you're making a choice to live in His love, to live in His grace, His mercy, His freedom. Once we were men, but we become warriors for the kingdom of heaven. That He chose you in Himself, the Bible says, before the world even was. Not just so you could be free from your circumstance, but He chose you in Himself that you could be appointed to His household as a representative of that household. He's called you to be sons. And His Son came and declared that reality to us and has given us the authority to be sons. So you have that authority this morning based on what Jesus has achieved. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pray with you. And then the team is gonna come up and they wanna share some stuff, they wanna talk to you. just bow your heads let father minister to your heart let him speak in you don't worry about all these people in this room get everything else out of your mind father father I thank you that you sent your son and in him is life in him is peace and I declare that right now upon every one of these children of yours that have responded this morning, that your peace shall reign in their hearts. Hallelujah. Freedom right now. In Jesus' name, Father, minister to them powerfully that they know you and the power of the resurrection of the life of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Father, I thank you for radical change. Radical change. Fill them with your spirit, Father, that they receive the promise of the Holy Ghost to be filled to overflow, that they be witnesses. A witness is someone who can give irrefutable evidence, that they are witnesses to testify of the life and the reality of Jesus Christ. And we declare it will be this way and no other. Freedom. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. 
For more messages like this one, or for other information, check out our website at firechurch.com.au.